seat unless you're in fourth and fifth grade, then stand up and dance for everybody to see. Oh, there's one. No, actually, go with James. James is your teacher today. Where's James? James is right there. He's the goofy guy waving his hand. Go with James. He will take you to your class. Thank you guys for singing. You know, there's, there's something about worship uh, corporately. I don't know if you're a singer by yourself in the car. I am in the shower, driving along, uh, sometimes just alone in, in my quiet time. But there's something about together. Uh, I, I'm going to pick on Kylie. Kylie was back there by the door singing, and I, I could hear, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed hearing Kylie's voice crying out to God. So there's just something about together, our voice as one to God. I think he's glorified in that as our hearts appeal to him and worship him. So thank you for those of you that, that sing. Thank you. Oh, there's a stool. Um, let me pray one more time before we get going. Heavenly Father, I thank you. That last song, Lead Me to the Cross. It is all about what you have done on the cross, Jesus. We are here because of you, Jesus. You died on the cross. You paid the penalty for our sin. You rose again and you conquered sin and death. The, the war is won. And you have given us your righteousness, not because of anything we've done. And because of that, we continually go back to the cross and remember what you've done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. And so we're here to worship you with our hearts, with our minds. And we are excited, Holy Spirit, about what you want to do in this city. And I know you want to do a work. Um, I've seen how you have brought people together here with the same vision, the same heart for you, your church, your mission, and you're placing us in the right places. Just as the, the Bible teaches about the body of Christ, there's, there's different members that do different things, and, and you're bringing that together, and it's so exciting to watch. Lord Jesus Christ, please give this group unity. Bind us together tightly, and then give us boldness and courage and your spirit to go and make a difference in this community for you not for our glory or our fame or our credit but for you because of what you did on the cross because of what you want to do in this city in this community you want to save lives you want to grow and expand your kingdom and we are going to worship you forever and it's going to be a lot of fun i can't wait lord jesus returns soon but until then expand your kingdom in jesus name amen so this week, um, here's our title, Three Marks of an All-In Jesus Follower. And I really felt God leading to teach on this today. It's kind of a standalone. We, we already talked about evangelism. We talked about how we can make a difference and transform this community. Um, but if, you, if you've been here long and you've started to build some relationships here, you know that we're under attack. There are key people here under attack. And I, I want you guys to recognize, and we've talked about it a lot for months, but you need to realize Satan wants to stop you because the Holy Spirit wants to change lives and wants to change your life, and the enemy's after us. So today, I want to get an idea. I want to look. We're going to be in Luke. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and we'll give you one, and you can keep it. Anybody need a, a Bible? Right here. Excellent. Thank you, Kara. Uh, and, and keep it. It's yours. Now, I encourage you, as I teach and I go through, follow along, because I might lie, <laughs> or I might, I'm not going to lie, um, but you need to learn from the Bible. You need to learn how to read for yourself, because if you depend on a pastor, guess what? Pastors can be wrong, 
and different pastors. You cannot lean on us. Now, my job is to teach you, and I'm going to do the best I can, but you need to be able to go to the Word and have this as your authority so that, say, I do slip up. You can come to me and go, you know what? I think it says this, and we can have a good talk. And you know what? I might have to adjust my thinking. That's happened before. I've been wrong. So, um, and I expect to be wrong again. So I just, it's all about the word. So anyway, here's what we're talking about today. We're looking at this. And so, so here's life, right? Here's life. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get. And the world shows me different ways to get, to fill me up. You know, maybe it's money. Maybe it's girls, maybe it's reputation. Those of you in school, you want a good reputation. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, a good career, you want influence. But whatever it is that the world tells you, you know, fill me up, my pride, it can be many things, many, many things. Uh, it could be religion. <laughs> it could be uh, how good you do in life, coming to church all the time and doing all these things. That could still be you. But when we come to Christ, this isn't what he wants. Instead, now, bear with me. This isn't as perfect as I wanted. So, instead, he wants something more like, hold on. There we go. Now, often what can happen is we get something like this where we come to Jesus, and now, great, we're saved, and so... There's still some of me, but, but now I have some of Jesus too. So there's Jesus in me. And so it's kind of half and half, you know. It, it's a little bit of both. Um, and Jesus, I believe, addresses this situation in Revelation. Show us that verse, if you would. Revelation 3, 15 and 16 says this. Now this is Jesus. After he died and rose again, and he was glorified in heaven, he wrote to a specific church. And it was a church that looked like this, and he said this. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So let's leave that verse up if you would. But this is what God looks at when he sees Christians that are going, well, you know what? There's, there's some of me and, and some of God, but I don't want to go all in. You know, that's our title today, all in, three marks of an all in Jesus follower. I don't want to go all in because there's some things about this world I still like. And I know in my life, you know, when I, in high school and even beyond, you know, it's, I would think, I, I love Jesus, I believe in him, I'm going to heaven someday, but there's some things that I should still be able to hold on to. Um, there's some things on TV I should still be able to watch, even though I really shouldn't, you know, God's going to forgive me. I, you know, there's some things I can still do. And I remember there was a kid in high school who he claimed to be a Christian, he came to the church things, and then at school though, you know, he was scamming on the girls and cussing and, and just like anybody else. And then if a spiritual conversation came up, he would join in. And I went, man, you're living this way and you're claiming this very lukewarm and it was, it was distasteful. So, and that's what Jesus says. If you're going to be lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I would rather you be hot, meaning on fire. I'm all in for Jesus or cold, meaning I don't want anything to do with the church. Why, why is that, do you think? What's better, hot or cold? You ever had coffee? You know, it's, it's great hot. It's great iced. Lukewarm. I was talking to somebody the other day. Well, I drink it anyway because who's going to waste a good cup of coffee? <laughs> that was wrong. Yeah, but the, but the lukewarm, eh, I just want to spit it out. God wants us all in. So instead of this life, which this is where most Christians live, the, some of me and some of Jesus in me. Off and on, oh, if I go all in, 
But this is what God wants. There it is. This is what the Christian life should look like. Not about me. All Jesus in me. Full of him, not me. That's what we're talking about today. That's the main point, is that God is not content with lukewarm Christianity. Not at all. But most American Christians live lukewarm. But this is what he wants. And I believe that most of us in here want this. And so that's why today we're talking about, if you want this, there is a cost. And we're going to talk about that cost today. So our main point is, if you want to be all in, what can you look forward to? <laughs> what does that look like to be all in? And are you willing? The reason I want to address this is, we have gathered together, we're excited about what the Holy Spirit is doing. We want to go for Him. If you want to be part of it, we need to be all in, but we need to understand the cost as well. So turn to Luke, if you would. That's where we're going to be. And if you want to build one of those later, they're really easy. Says the construction guy. <laughs> so turn to Luke 14, 25 to 35. Now, I want you to understand one thing before I look at this. Is sometimes when, when we think of that balloon and, and there's none of me, we think, oh, so life is paltry. You know, life is miserable. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life full of God and not me is actually the life God has planned for you, and it's your best life. It's a life where you will have the most joy, peace, purpose. All the things you really want in life come best that way, and we need to understand that. But there is a cost. So look at me, Luke 14, 25 to 35, and let me read the first verse. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, now, before we see what he said, I want to point out these great crowds. Now, we looked at Luke last week, and one of the things we talked about was Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. He's moving toward Jerusalem, toward the cross. He knew what he was going to do, and so he's, he's set. His mind is set on what he's about to do, and he's going town to town, preaching about the kingdom, healing people, and drawing people. Now, a healer like Jesus, not one of these people that sets up a tent and whoo, you know, touches you and you're healed and you're like, doesn't feel like it. Jesus was healing. I mean, a lame man, he touches and they rise and walk away. D this wasn't one of those things that you can go, well, maybe they were healed or weren't. You know, somebody with a withered hand and Jesus comes up and, and boom, it's, it's restored. Who wouldn't want to see that, <laughs> right? And Jesus was teaching with authority. So he was popular. He was going town to town and word spread. There were crowds following Jesus. Now, isn't that what all church leaders want? A big crowd <laughs> in general? And as a church plant, we're just starting out. We can have that temptation. Well, we want a big crowd. You know, look at the building. We got a lot of work done. Great servants came yesterday. We did a lot. And now we can fit more people. And there's something to understand. We do want people coming to Christ, growing in Christ. But even Jesus, he had great crowds. But he didn't care about the crowds. In fact, we're going to see Jesus did his best to thin the crowds. <laughs> You wonder as you watch, there's people following him and he, and he turns and he says things that make half walk away or more. He's not impressed by crowds. Jesus has counted, God has counted the, the sand on the seashore. He made the stars. He knows how many there are. He's not impressed by numbers. He's impressed by a heart. And so that's what he's about to talk about. So here's what he's going to go through. And he doesn't make it easy. 
Jesus never made the gospel easy in order to, to grow a crowd, but he had a balance of invitation and challenge. He would invite people. He would say things like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sounds good. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, sounds good. He would say, I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. Sounds good. And then there would be a challenge. And here's the challenge. And the challenge doesn't go down as well sometimes. So he goes into verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is Hebrew hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggeration to make a point. He's not saying actually hate your family, as in I despise you, I hate you. He's, he's saying there's a comparison here. Compared to my love for Jesus, my love for my beautiful wife should be like hate. It is, it is not even close. And so here's the first mark that you can make a note. By the way, if you have the app, the notes are on the app. If you don't have the app, Common Ground Carson, you can download that. But you can fill it in right there. But mark one is that every relationship is a distant second to Jesus. Every relationship is a distant second to Jesus. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with all that you are. That's the greatest commandment. And every other relationship is a distant second. That's hard, isn't it? That can be hard because you think that your spouse should be first. Or as a parent, my kids should be first. But really, they're a distant, a, and that's, that's the word, distant second to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, historically, look, look through history, for a person to really put Jesus first, it often costs. Many, it costs their lives. In this country, it, it doesn't so much. And so we can, we can claim to follow Christ and, eh, you know, we, we don't necessarily have to suffer for it. So this relationship thing isn't always there. Uh, I was listening to a pastor who is in Texas, and they had a, an exchange student from somewhere in the Middle East, from a Muslim family. And he came to know Christ while he was here as a student. And he went all in for Jesus, fell in love with Jesus and grew. And his time was up, and it was time to go home back to his family. And he said, I know that when I go back, I'm going to be ostracized. I'm going to be probably kicked out of my family. They'll probably never talk to me again. There could be a hit put out on my head when they find out I'm a Christian. And he was willing to do it. <laughs> he was willing to lose his parents. His, he was willing to lose his family for Jesus. That's this call. That's what it means to have every relationship a distant second to Jesus. And there will come a time where maybe we have to deal with that. Now, here's another thing, though, that I want, we need to realize. It is better for Jesus to be first and everything else a distant second. As a parent, it is better for your kids that Jesus is way first. As a spouse, it's better that your spouse is following Jesus first. And, and it's not a, a jealousy or a competition thing, but I got to tell you, knowing that Callie would never follow me in the wrong direction, that she's all about Christ, that gives me a lot of peace. Those of you that aren't married yet, there's a couple in here at least, yeah, there's two, yeah. Look for somebody all in for Jesus. Look for somebody that is, it is all about Jesus and they barely even glance at you, really. 
That's who you want. I'm serious. That's who you want because the person that's getting everything they need from Jesus is free to pour themselves out for others. So because my wife is all about Jesus, she's a great wife to me. If she was seeking what she needed from me, there'd be this weird codependence thing and I would fail her all the time and we would fight. But instead, we seek Jesus first. We get all we need there and then we're free to give. We'll be better parents. We'll be better spouses. So that's the picture. Every relationship is a distant second to Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go all in? And the end of that verse, it says, even more than your own life. Even more than your own life, not just others. Now look with me at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is making it really hard. It sounds really hard. He's done wonderful invitation. You know, life is abundant with me. And now he says, if you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy to follow me. What's the cross? We know the cross. If you saw somebody carrying the cross, and that was the, the, the Roman form of execution, probably the worst one, and they would be forced to carry the cross beam, a, a heavy piece of wood. We know that Jesus, he couldn't even carry his the whole way. He'd gotten beaten so bad, he couldn't carry it. Somebody else had to carry it. But they were carrying that to the place of death, to Golgotha, and they would nail it up, and, and that's where they would die. So if you saw somebody carrying a cross, what did you know about that person? They'd be dead later that day or the day after, but they, they were on their way to death. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you're not, you're not worthy to be my disciples. Oh my goodness, that's a big deal. He wants your life. Do you get that? American Christianity, we try and water it down so much because we want, want big crowds. So it's going to be easy. We'll just believe and you get to go to heaven. Here's your fire insurance card. You don't have to go to hell, but now do whatever you want. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, take up your cross and follow me. There's a, a couple things in there. Actually, let me read Luke 9, 23 through 24, where he says the same thing. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, it's a daily thing, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He elaborates there, and there's a few more points. Let's leave that, out, leave, that, leave that up. What is it when you take up a cross? What do you do? Follow. What was Jesus' message? When he walked along and he saw the fishermen on the shore, he said, follow me. He didn't just yell, believe in me. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> he said, follow me. That's his call. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me, follow me. And here he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, there's something else we ought to notice. For every person, it's maybe a different cross. You take up your cross. God has gifted you in specific ways. God has put you where he has put you. Your cross might look different from my cross, but we take up the burden that God has given us for his kingdom, and we follow. So the picture, as I see this, is Jesus, he took the cross for you and for me. The cross I deserved, he carried, but he says, now follow me. So it's as if I intentionally... I pick up willingly my cross, and I'm two steps behind Jesus. He's going up to the cross, and I'm going with him. I'm following right behind. Where are we going, Jesus? <laughs> we're going there. We're going to die. Okay. But that's the picture. That's what he says. Follow me. Romans 12.1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I think this is what the cross looks like. There in, in Romans 12, 1, it, it looks like he's saying two different things. He says, be a sacrifice and, and live. A sacrifice was typically something killed. They would bring a lamb, a, a goat, a, an ox, they, whatever it is, they'd bring that a bull, and they'd kill it, and they'd lay it on the altar. And so the call is to take up your cross, meaning be a sacrifice for Jesus, go, but it's a living sacrifice. That's what he says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, I beg you, be a living sacrifice, give your life, but then keep living. It's not that you give and, and die right then. You know, we've talked about this before. Why is it when we give our life to Jesus, we're not just raptured? We're not just taken to heaven? Because you're left here to be his hands and feet. So we're supposed to follow. And the picture is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual worship. This brings glory to God. This is what we see in baptism. This is why we do baptism. Because when we baptize somebody, we, you know, we take them up and we put them in a, in a tank of water and we dunk them and we said, died with Christ, buried with Christ. And you use water because if you did that in dirt, it would just take too long. Buried with Christ and then dig back up, you know, but buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. That's this picture. When we come to Christ, Derek dies. I die. Put your name in there. You die. But then you're raised again to walk in a newness of life. Jesus through you. That's the cross. Are you willing? Are you willing to go all in for Jesus and live that life, him through you? Again, that balloon, none of me, all of him. So there's Mark 2. You can fill that in. Mark 2 is a life dead to self and alive to God. A life dead to self and alive to God. You know, as I've studied history some and look at, at Rome, you know, in the time, at the beginning of the church, many Christians were killed in the Colosseum. You've probably read those stories or seen those movies. Or, you know, many Christians were called in, killed in the Colosseum, but why were they killed? Why were Christians killed? Was it because they worshiped Jesus? No, it was because they worshiped only Jesus. That's why they were killed. They were fine with you believing in whatever gods you want, but believe in all the gods and also follow Caesar, you know, worship Caesar as a god. But the Christians said, no, we have only one god. That's why they were killed. Are you willing to have only one god in your life? One, all in for Jesus Christ. This may mean, this may mean we don't get what we want. This may mean, those of you that aren't married yet want to get married, it may mean you don't get married. It may mean you're waiting for the right person and you don't, you don't uh, give in <laughs> and go the wrong way. This may mean that we, because we're all in for God for his purposes, we lose money. You know, you're doing a job and it's like, well, I can cut this corner and make more money. No, we're all in for Jesus. It's all in for him. I'm dead to self. It's not about money. I'm not going to cut this corner. It may be you are, are willing to lose your reputation. Is this okay? Are you willing to do that? God is loved supremely. We please him in complete obedience. But then I put this. But when we stray, we apologize, we repent, we turn and we follow. We're not going to be perfect. The goal is perfection. It is. The goal is to be complete. But as John wrote in, in one of his epistles, he said, if anyone says he's without sin, he's a liar. And so it's not, it's not that we are going to be perfect. But we're, we're moving, and as when we stumble, we quickly repent. When we hurt somebody, we quickly go to them and ask forgiveness. That's the Christian life. That's what all in looks like. We're humble enough to quickly go, I, I admit I was wrong, I confess it, I repent, and I turn and I follow. 
That's the Christian life. Galatians 2.20, my favorite verse. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Your sacrifice is simply a response to Jesus' sacrifice. So Mark 1, every relationship is a distant second to Jesus. Mark 2, we live a life dead to self and alive to God. Now, I want to, before we go on, I want to point one thing out. There's a danger here. There's a danger here in that we start saying, okay, this, this sacrifice and all these things that we should be doing earns salvation. That's the danger. Understand that your salvation is bought with a price, and the price isn't your blood. It was Jesus' blood, and it's a free gift, free gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. So right now you could be feeling guilt. <laughs> you could be feeling, am I saved because I don't see this all the time in my life? That's not the point, okay? The point is to understand you're saved by grace alone. Jesus did it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to sacrifice for yourself. But we're, we're talking about, this is a response to what Jesus has done. It's a response. So you're saved by faith, belief, trust in Jesus, and then your life will change. Then your life will change. So you just have to understand that. Um, but again, this isn't American Christianity in general. American Christianity in general is do my thing and do some of Jesus. Uh, Francis Chan, I think, described this really well. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Francis Chan, but you should look him up. He's got great illustrations. But he says, here's, he described American church kind of this way. He said, picture as a parent, you're leaving for work. You're, you're gone for the day and your kids are home. You say, okay, kids, here's what I want you to do today. Before I get back, you know, I want you to clean your room. That just, that's it. Everybody go clean your room when I come home later tonight. So gives the instructions to his kids, goes off to work, comes home at the end of the day, and he walks in, and the kids are all excited. They meet him at the door. They're like, oh, Dad, check it out. He says, okay, what, what? Like, well, after you left, we got thinking about what you said. And we got together, and we, and we were just kind of meditating and thinking, what does it mean to clean your room? And so we were thinking about what that means, and we were talking about, did he really mean clean your room, or could it mean something else? And then we started saying, well, what does it mean to you? You know, what does it mean to you to clean your room? So we, we actually split up into little small groups, and we talked about what it means to clean your room. And then we got on the piano, and we wrote a song. We put your words, clean your room, to a song. You want to hear the song? And so we sang about what it means to clean your room. We looked up what clean your room means in Greek, and we know what that means. <laughs> what do you think Dad's going to say? It's like, did you clean your room? <laughs> did you clean your room? That's what Dad wants. What was our instruction? Right before Jesus left, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So when we stand before God, I, I think there's going to be that same kind of interaction with Jesus. We're going to go, Jesus, we had great small groups. Did you make disciples? We sang great songs. Did you make disciples? <laughs> Did you lay down your life for me and make disciples? That's what we're called to do. That's how we measure success. Not by how good we sing. <laughs> Not by how big of a group we can get. Success is measured by making disciples. Are we multiplying? Now, get this, Sunday's a big deal. Singing is a big deal. We're called to sing a new song to God. We want to worship. But again, our mission, are we making disciples? And it will cost. It will cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you've ever read Cost of Discipleship, he said this. 
In our day, we have a gospel without law, a faith without repentance, a salvation without conversion, a Christian life without discipline, a commitment without cost. It kind of hits you. <laughs> That's the Christian life in general. We just add Jesus into everything we do, but Jesus never said that. Jesus said, follow me. The rich man that came to him says, how do I gain eternal life? And he says, follow the law. He said, I've done all that. He says, now go sell everything you have and follow me. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He wants all of you. Are you all in? Now, look back at the, the word with me. Back at Luke. Verse 28 through 30, we get an illustration. Jesus says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So this illustration, very clear, it's a construction project that somebody undertakes and they run out of funds halfway through. And they look like a fool. <laughs> the point that he's trying to make is, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Do, don't do it ignorantly. Sit down and think, okay, Jesus is asking me to follow. He wants all of me. Am I willing to do it? And really what he's saying is, if you're not willing to do it, don't even start. Don't even start until you're ready to go all in, until you're ready to follow. Have you ever seen a project half built? It's embarrassing. <laughs> um, the two brick mansions... Down here, before you go up Kingsbury Grade, yeah, they're right by your house. They were built. I remember when they were being built because I was still doing masonry. I'm like, I want that brick job. <laughs> um, but they built these big, giant mansions, you know, huge columns going up. It's like, wow, what kind of a building is that? And then it just stopped. Construction just stopped. And they're vacant now. They're not done. From the outside, some of them look done. And from what I hear, some kids like to sneak into those buildings I see one smirk. <laughs> Some kids, and so I've heard they're not done on the inside. But they're a monument to somebody's failure. Oh, good, Amy, you haven't been there? Amy, she, <laughs> mom looks at Amy, and Amy goes. <laughs> but they're a monument to somebody's failure. That's not what Jesus wants from us. We don't want to start all excited about, I'm going to have this great life. I can just add Jesus in and then go, oh, that's the cost? I have to give these things up? He wants all, eh, I'm not willing to do that says, no, all in. Now he gives us another illustration in verse 31 and 32. He says this, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Duh. If you're not going to win the battle, don't fight. <laughs> Get terms of peace. Save your life. Save, the, the picture is just the same. Count the cost. Look at it. Are you willing to enter this life with Jesus all in? And I think there's, there's an aspect here of it is a battle. There is an enemy. And he will come after you. He will come after us. Are you willing to enter that fight? Because the way you win that fight isn't by being a good warrior. <laughs> the way you win that fight isn't by being strong. The way you win that fight is that you submit, therefore, to God. This is what Jesus' half-brother James wrote. He said, submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if you go all in for God, the enemy's going to come against you, and the way you win is by submitting to God. 
and resisting the devil. Not by fighting hard, not by being smart, not by being all these other things, but it's that picture of that balloon there. The way you win is by draining yourself, all of Jesus, submitting to him, and you'll win. But if you're not willing to do that, the enemy's going to eat you alive. He's going to eat you alive, and he's going to spit you out, and he's going to walk on the pieces. <laughs> the way you win is going all in. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why we're talking about this two weeks before launch. Are you willing to go all in for him? Guess what? If you are, he's going to show up for you. He's going to give you everything you need. This shouldn't be a, a, it shouldn't scare you. Maybe it should. But count the cost. Are you willing? Are you willing? Now, verse 33. So therefore, remember the word therefore, it's kind of summing up what came before. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any of you that does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. Renounce. Give away. Not be attached to. Can you renounce all that you have? This is the mentality that nothing is mine and everything is God's. This is stewardship. How do you hold on to things in this life? Again, that, that rich man in Mark. That rich man that came to Jesus, you know, I want to follow you. He said, okay, then go sell everything you have and follow me. He wasn't willing to. His money got in the way. What is it that will prevent you from going all in? What is it? Is there something? This is the, the third mark, Mark 3. Live open-handed. Live open-handed. So here, here's the picture. If you renounce all, it doesn't mean you give everything away. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you need to sell all your cars and houses and live on the, on the street. What it means is that you hold everything you have like this. And that's money and that's stuff, but it's also your talents. It's also your time, your relationships. You hold everything like this. And when God wants it, here you go. You're, you know, us men, some of us women too, you know, we can have our, our job. And so our job is our identity. Our success is our identity. And God says, no, I don't want you to do that anymore. Or I'm taking that away. Do we cling tightly because that's who we are? Or are we open-handed going, who I am is your son or daughter. Fine, it's yours. You know, why do pro athletes hang on too long? Because <laughs> their identity is in them being a pro athlete. Peyton Manning, I learned this morning, is retiring. Woohoo! good for him. But so many don't. They hold on. But, so what about us? Can we hold everything with an open hand? And I would say this, one of the things that I have seen most come between people and spiritual maturity and spiritual blessing is their money, is their stuff holding tightly to it. It's true. It's true. Until you're willing to give your stuff away, hold it with an open hand, you are preventing God from blessing you because you're saying mine, mine. He says live open-handed. Again, not just about money and stuff, but about all of life. So an all-in Jesus follower can renounce all they have because they find all they need in Christ. You get it? It's, it's back kind of the, the same thing as the relationship. Every relationship is a distant second. You don't need stuff because you have everything you need in, in Christ. He promised to give you everything you need, not everything you want, so we can live open-handed. That's a measure of an all-in Jesus follower. How do you guys measure up with these three? How do you measure up? If you don't, don't wallow in guilt. That's not what God has for you. But he's asking you for a commitment. He's asking you to go, you know what? I repent of, of whatever it is that's getting in the way. I'm all yours. 
I'm all, and I'm willing to go all in. Let's do this. Let's do this. I put this. Your identity is that you are a son or a daughter of the king. That is, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, you believe in him, your identity is you are a son or a daughter of the king. You are royalty. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. You are adored by your creator. Do you get that? You are adored by your creator. You will be glorified later, and you will be present with him now and forever. Get that, nothing else comes close. Then you can live open-handed. Then every relationship can be a distant second. One more verse, verse 34. Uh, 2, 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus ends with this picture of salt. Now, salt can't really lose its saltiness, I I don't think. But what they use there, that salt was from the Dead Sea, and so the salt would be mixed with some other minerals. And it was possible for the salt to wash out, and there would be these minerals left. But they were were worthless. You know, salt, what what is salt used for? Preservative, a seasoning, to get rid of ice, (laughs) to make ice cream. Salt's very, very useful. What are Christians called? The salt of the earth. The salt, you and I, we are the salt of the earth. We are useful. Jesus, through us, we are God's hands and feet on this earth. Remember, we've said this, God does nothing on earth apart from his people, from his church. You are his hands and feet. We are the temple of God on this earth. So we are salt. We are useful for some of us for different reasons, for different things. We have different crosses, but we are useful. Life should be better for those people because we're here. We should improve education. We should improve everything about life that we can because we belong to Jesus. We're useful. And then we bring life. Again, remember, we reconcile people to God. That's our job to make disciples. We're useful. But what happens? What happens when we lose our saltiness? What happens when we compromise? What happens when we look like everybody else and claim to be Christians? We're salt without saltiness. And what's it used for? Nothing. You know, as I read it, this was one of the things I didn't quite get, but he said it's not even useful for the manure pile. Salt at, at a certain point, is even useful in the manure pile of making the manure work. I didn't know that. Um, if, if you're a Christian, you know, claim to be a follower, and you lose your, you're not even good for poo. <laughs> you're not even good to be part of the manure pile. If the conditions of discipleship are not kept, the disciple becomes less than worthless. That's what we see in Revelation. The lukewarm. He says, if you're going to be lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Are we going to really be submitted to Jesus? Again, this isn't adding a bunch of legalism or religion to life. This is meaning, are we going to submit and just go all in for Jesus? Just as salt is useless if it loses its saltiness, so a Jesus follower without full commitment is useless to the kingdom of God. Useless to the kingdom of God. Bonhoeffer in in his book says this, Christianity without sacrifice is not the gospel. 
It's another form of selfishness. Think about that. Christianity without sacrifice, meaning I respond to Jesus' love by going all in for him and now I'm yours. If we're not going to do that, it's another form of selfishness because what I want is I want everything Jesus has to offer. I want his stuff. Eternal life, blessing, I want his stuff. Are we willing to make the sacrifice? Have we counted the cost? Are we willing to follow Jesus no matter what? I wanted to, to, to go through this, this lesson before we launch because my heart for you is that you experience the abundant life. My heart is to see this community changed, absolutely. But for me, that, that's kind of second on the list. We're called to make disciples. But first, we've got this group right here. And I want to see us experiencing the abundant life. I want to see you experiencing life God has for you. I want your marriages to thrive. I want your kids I want your kids to have the greatest life they can have because mom and dad are growing in Christ and mom and dad are loving them. That's what I want to see because if that happens here, you're experiencing it and you're going to walk out this door going, you guys got to come see what I got. <laughs> come, come experience the life I have. So we got to focus here, but I want us to understand it's going to cost something, but it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Are we willing? Are we willing? What will happen? What will happen if we go all in? What will happen to our families? if each of us goes all in for Jesus? What will happen to the community if us and the other churches go all in? God will do great things, and the Holy Spirit wants to. He does. I'm convinced. And as I've been talking to other, other pastors and other Christians in other parts of the country. There's something about to change, and I believe this. I do. It gives me chills. Every continent in the world, the church is growing except for this one. But I think that's about to change. I do. I really do. Do you want to be part of it? Again, I have chills because I want to be part of it. And I think it's about to happen. But it's not going to happen if it's some of us and some of Jesus. It's going to happen when we go all in. And it's going to be exciting. Let me pray and let's worship. Lord Jesus Christ, um, this is all worship. I guess that sounds wrong to say just singing is worship. But all of life is worship when we live it poured out for you. Lord Jesus Christ, I, I ask. Well, first I thank you. I thank you that... You've done all that's needed already. Um, and I ask, Father, if there's anyone in this room that has not gone all in for you, I pray that today they would make that commitment. That they would pray this morning, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have not gone all in. I, there's these things I'm still holding on to. And that they would give those over to you and they would commit. They would commit to going all in for you. And that they would share that with somebody else. They would go to a group this week and they would share that with somebody else that I'm going all in. And God, I, I ask one more thing, is that the temptation, the danger here is that we become legalistic. The danger is that we look at all these things we should do and go, okay, I'm not doing that, and so we start to try and do those things. But that's not the point. Anything of value that we do for you is simply a result of what you're doing in us. So what we do is we submit to you. We spend time with you daily in the word and praying. God, I, I pray that that would be our result, that we would go and seek you and pursue you and then you would live through us, that we wouldn't just go and try and add these to-dos to our life. We love you. It's all for you. Please be honored and glorified as we close in singing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Mm -hmm.